today about building families in a new reality. And uh, what we need to realize is, and I'm sure most of us do realize this, that the world that we live in now is very different to the world even only 20 years ago, but certainly very different to the, to the world 30, 40, 50 years ago. And uh, we are living in a new reality. We're living in the 21st century with all that it brings. And uh, so we need to know that the skills and abilities and knowledge we had to be great families 20, 30, 40 years ago perhaps need to be rethought as we live in this new reality. It's not that the new reality we live in is bad, but it is different. And so we need to rethink how we build great families. And that's what we're going to try and do. And I want uh, you to watch another media now, which is called uh, Rethinking Motherhood and introduces us to this theme that we need to rethink how we do family in the 21st century. Let's look at this. Things are different now than they were 20, 30, 40 years ago. Technology, our mobility, our working patterns, our finances, our leisure options are all different now than they were then. And all of those things have implications for family life. We are, whether we like it or not, living in a new reality. And how we create families needs to reflect that. Oftentimes people will bemoan the new reality. They'll say, it's not like it used to be. Things were so much better when I was growing up. But uh, I want to dispute that a little bit. They're certainly different, but I'm not sure they're worse. Just because how we live and function in the 21st century is different doesn't mean that it's worse. In fact, there are many things available to us that make our lives easier and better. Technology has made our lives easier in many respects. Being able to get about more easily has made travel to different places and cultures available to us. Having more things to do in our relaxation time presents huge opportunities to us. But things are different. So the things that worked in helping us building uh, great families 20, 30, 40 years ago may need to change. And that's what we're going to look at. How we can be better equipped to build great families in this new reality. And when we talk about family, we're not just talking about parents and young children, although I'm aware on Mother's Day that perhaps is what we tend to think about. But that's not just what we're talking about. The principles that we're going to be working our way through over the next two or three weeks are applicable for us, I think, whatever our family circumstances are. They certainly are applicable for parenting. But they're also applicable for helping us relate to our grown-up children 
to grandchildren, to brothers, sisters, mums, dads, stepchildren, stepparents, extended family. So my hope is that whatever your personal circumstances are with family, that you will listen and still have stuff that you can take home and apply. Now there's a story in the Bible centered around a woman called Ruth, and that's significant for us in our family because my wife is called Ruth. So this is a story that we're encouraged to read often in, uh, in our family. But the story of Ruth has a lot to teach us about the building blocks of a great family. And even though this story is set thousands of years ago, it still has much to teach us about the building blocks of a great family in the 21st century. The background to the story is this. There's a family at the heart of it. Mum, dad, and two sons. And they're living in a place called Judah, which is kind of modern-day Israel for us. And there was a famine in their country, so they move to a new place. They move to a different country called Moab. And whilst they were there, tragedy struck their family. Father died, leaving mum, who was a woman called Naomi, with her two sons. And the sons looked after mum when that happened. And both sons married local women from Moab, and one of those was called Ruth. So Ruth is Naomi's daughter-in-law. Then tragedy strikes the family again, and both sons die. Now, the custom was when that happened that Naomi, mum, should travel back to her homeland and that her two daughters-in-law, now widowed, her two daughters-in-law would travel with her and when they'd reached Judah, they would return home back to Moab. So they do that. They set out. But when they arrive back in Judah... Uh, Naomi tries to send the two children, the two women, sorry, the two daughters-in-law back home. But Ruth refuses to go. And that's where we pick up the story in the Old Testament book of Ruth, chapter 1, verse 15. So Naomi is trying to send Ruth home. So Naomi says to Ruth, look, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune on me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now, can you imagine for a moment what this meant for Ruth? Leaving her home, her family, staying with Naomi in a foreign land, that would have been a huge sacrifice. But the bond of family for Ruth was strong. But the story goes on. They have nothing. No one to look after them. 
no one to take care of them, no one to provide for them. Now they're back in Bethlehem. And remember, in these days, there was no welfare system. Very often, widows were left destitute. But Naomi has some extended family back in Bethlehem, and on her husband's side is a man called Boaz. And he allows them to do something called gleaning, which is was a a technical term back then. What gleaning meant was that uh, people could go, people who were poor, could go into the fields at harvest time and they could gather up whatever was left after the people doing the harvest had been through the fields. And very often there'd be bits of the crops left over at the side of the field or bits that the people doing the harvest had missed. And so Boaz allows Ruth and Naomi to glean from the field. And uh, here, a little bit more of the story, this time from chapter 2, verse 17. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it mounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our family guardians. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finished harvesting all my corn. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Now the story of Ruth takes place in a highly unusual set of family circumstances. The context of the story is tragedy, immigration, and poverty. Uh, But Naomi is like a mother to Ruth, and Ruth like a mother to Naomi. But I want us to notice the values that are modeled in this unusual set of family circumstances by these two women. The first of these um, values that are modeled is that of unconditional love. There is no mandate on Ruth to stay with Naomi, but she does. It is unconditional love. The second value is that of provision. They provide for each other, physically and emotionally. And the final value is that of commitment. They are wholeheartedly committed to each other. And Ruth, in particular, makes huge sacrifices to demonstrate that commitment. She sacrifices her home, her own family, and her well-being. So unconditional love, provision, and commitment. And it seems to me that thousands of years later, those are some of the values that are the building blocks for a great family in the new reality that we're living in. Unconditional love, provision, and commitment. And they are particularly important, I think, in the new reality that we are living in, with the pressures we face on our time. The commitment to spending time with family becomes so, so important. With the pressures that bear in on us, demanding this and that and the other of us in this fast-paced 21st century world that we live in, commitment to our families, commitment to spending time is hugely important. 
And with the options we have and the pressures we have on us in the 21st century to spend our money and with the options we have for how we spend it, providing for our family becomes key. Not getting into debt so our families aren't under pressure is key. And yet all the time in this new reality, we're under pressure to borrow money, to spend more money on material things. So the value of provision is hugely significant. But underpinning all of these, underpinning all of these comes unconditional love. There are so many pressures on us these days. And actually, there are huge pressures on our children these days. There seems to be this drive for success, drive for our children to get into the best schools. Have you seen, there's been articles in the newspaper this week about how people are lying and cheating to get their children into the best schools that now the government is saying they're going to have to carry out spot checks to see who's lied on their application forms to get their children into the best schools. It's a huge drive for children to succeed. And of course there is nothing wrong with wanting our children to do the best that they can to realize their potential. But often it can spill over into an unhealthy drive that parents have for their children. And if any of us, but especially children, come to believe that we are only loved if we achieve and we succeed as the world defines success, then that is really, really dangerous for a family. All of us need to know that we are loved not because of what we do or who we are, but we are loved unconditionally. Naomi was a mother to Ruth and Ruth a mother to Naomi. And these are the values that were modeled by them. And they are the values that we need to remember when we are talking about building family in a new reality. Commitment, provision, and unconditional love. And of course, those values are very often modeled by the mothers that we celebrate today. Those are the values that my mother modeled for me, amongst many others. And we all need a mother like that. And it's interesting, when we talk about God... We usually refer to God as him or as father. And that's fine. The Bible often uses father as God's name. But something we don't often talk about is that the Bible also refers to God as being like a mother. At the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis, it says that God created uh, men and women in his image. Now, you just need to understand the logic of that. If God created men and women in his image... That means God is both male and female, doesn't it? That's the logic of that. God is both male and female. Isaiah says that like a mother comforts her children, so will God comfort us. Jesus says that just as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her for protection, so God will do the same for us. The Bible uses the image of God as mother as well as the image of God as father. God offers us the things that a great mother offers. Unconditional love, provision, commitment. He is utterly committed to us. And nothing that we can do can separate us from that and from his love for us. We may have different experiences of our own mothers. Some may have been great, some may have been terrible. Some of us, like me, may have lost our mothers. 
Whatever our circumstances, God is there for us. God can be a mother to us. These three things are some of the foundations for building a great family, and we'll discover others in the next two weeks together. Unconditional love, provision, commitment. Now, I hope that this morning you are being challenged in your family relationships to grow, perhaps in one or two or even all of these areas. Unconditional love, provision, commitment. Maybe you realize in your own family circumstances, whatever they might be, that your love for your family has been conditional. They've needed to do something so that you can love them. Maybe your challenge this morning is to grow in unconditional love. Maybe some of you have got yourself into difficulties with finances or with being able to provide for your families. Maybe this morning you just need to receive God and his wisdom about how he can help you with that. And if that is you, speak to us afterwards because we can help you with that. Maybe others of you realize you've been committed to all sorts of things in your life, but not your family. And you need to make more time to spend with them. Maybe you would resolve this morning to go away and think about how you can do that. So I hope that all of us are being challenged about how we might grow in our family relationships. But I want to finish by saying this. It is so much better... And so much easier for us to display these characteristics of unconditional love, of provision and of commitments if we have received them for ourselves. It's so much easier for us to display them if we are on the receiving end of them. And God can provide these things for us. God loves us unconditionally. Nothing we can do can separate us from God's love. He loves us unconditionally. He has provided for us beyond anything else we can find. And he is utterly committed to us. Like a great mother is for her children, God is for us. And it is as we receive these gifts from God today of unconditional love, of his provision for us, and of his commitment to us, that we become equipped to give them out to others in our family. And so for a minute now, we're going to pause and we're going to allow God to pour these things into us and we are going to receive them. Unconditional love, provision, commitment.